Welcome to Not Artificially Sweetened, a weekly podcast where we reflect on all things diabetes. Your hosts are specialist physician Stan Landau and diabetes specialist nurse Michael Brown. We are passionate about using our talents to change lives for the better. Our mission is to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Nothing is off the table here as we discuss real people, their real issues and stories, and together discover real answers to many vexing practical issues in diabetes and its management. Hello and welcome everybody to this, the 28th episode of Not Artificially Sweetened. I'm joined by Michael Brown. Hello, Stan, and hello, listeners. Thanks to all of you out there who have given us a like and have shared widely on your favorite social media network. Remember, this podcast is a free service from the CDE Teaching and Learning Academy, and you can access this on Spotify or on the Apple podcast platform. Please continue to keep sending us your thoughts and ideas and share comments that you may find interesting, questions that you may have for either Michael or myself, or in fact, our studio guest. That email address is podcast at cdediabetes.coza. Michael, we're recording this on spring day today, which always is a fantastic thing here in Johannesburg. And I know it's spring day because the clivias in my garden start to uh, show up long before the first buds on any trees. Wonderful. And I know that with the end of year coming and shout out to the matriculants out there who are getting ready for their finals. It's also the time that we get ready to huddle ourselves for our annual education congress that's taking place in Santon for healthcare professionals last week of October. How was your week? Yeah, it was busy, but good. I was very pleased with our last episode of Not Artificially Sweetened. I thought that all the insights raised by Rosanna were particularly topical at this time in the country's history. And I think we really need to focus on the role of the diabetes specialist nurse in diabetes care. Couldn't agree with you more. What was interesting in my reading of the journals this week was an article about a mouth rinse that might spot early heart disease risk. And we have spoken on the show before about the intimate link and growing evidence between oral health and cardiovascular disease risk. And so what they found is that if you take a rinse of the mouth, which includes the saliva, if it has a high white cell count, it is highly associated with two tests of vascular health, which are flow-mediated dilation and pulse wave velocity. The pathology behind this seems to be that if you get periodontal disease, gingivitis, or inflamed and swollen gums, the little capillaries, the tiniest blood vessels taking blood to and from the tissues of the gums and the teeth become inflamed and they become leaky and bacteria and pyrogens can enter the bloodstream and cause widespread vascular inflammation. Then over time, cardiovascular disease. And it seems that this test, once it gets through its preparatory phases, might be used as a simple general practitioner test to test for vascular disease risk. And what they're saying is that it can even be of use in young people with apparently no cardiovascular disease or risk. So it's just another step, I think, in the buildup of the evidence between oral health and cardiovascular disease. And of course, in people with diabetes, that becomes even more important because we know that saliva glucose is intimately related to blood glucose. So the better managed our blood glucose levels can be, the better managed our saliva glucose can be, and the less cardiovascular risk. 
You've always had a great interest in uh, mouth and oral hygiene matters, Michael. Absolutely. Uh, you were a proponent for this in one of our early congresses a couple of years ago, bringing to the audience's attention the link between gum disease and heart disease. I think that talk was titled something like Jaws and Diabetes. <laughs> there was a big shock coming out of the water. <laughs> the audience were most sensitized to that because it wasn't something that was part of the traditional teaching in diabetes. And that makes me think that, you know, the more we learn, the more we learn. Absolutely. Articles coming out day after day, linking viral diseases now with the onset of type 2 diabetes, particularly in respect to COVID that's come and gone. So lots of communicable aspects and things that we hadn't necessarily thought were part and parcel of, you know, old fashioned diabetes, mm -hmm. really a fresh take on this condition, leading us into some wonderful insights. Thank you for sharing. Delighted for me to introduce our studio guest this week, Ryan Brewer. His by title, and I'm going to read this to you because this doesn't really capture who he is, but he is the co-principal of Start Properties, and he is also a co-director of their sister company, Pronto Management Services. But he's much more than that. In fact, that's the reason we invited Ryan onto our podcast today, because he wears a number of hats, and he also wears a cricket helmet, and he'll tell us about that hat later on in the course of the podcast with us. Ryan has recently published a book, his first, he's an author, he's a father, he is a person living with type 1 diabetes. And Ryan, for Michael and I and our audience, it's a great pleasure having you join us today. Hi, Dr. Landa, thank you so much. And thank you, Michael, for the wonderful opportunity to be featured on this podcast. It's an absolute honor. You are author. I want to hear about that because it's fascinating. You had told me a couple of months back that you were busy writing something. Here we are, it's in my hands. I got you. And a wonderful imagery here, a pair of gloves, almost looks like a wicket keeper's gloves. You're going to tell me about that. These could be the gloves of a magician. Ryan, tell us, even before we get into diabetes matters, how did you land up writing a book? Um, sure. So it goes way, way back, almost to the beginning of life, really. I was, I would say, in inverted commas, a problem child. The first couple of years of my life, I cried for three years, nonstop. I was, had a severe what they call colic in those days. Then I had a lot of food allergies, keratinitis. And then obviously being diagnosed with diabetes at the age of four and a half, five. And then fast forward a couple of years, I then had severe learning difficulties as well, where my grade four teacher told me that you won't amount to nothing. I had severe occupational therapy sessions, audio processing sessions, therapy sessions. And it was just a big struggle from day one, where a lot of people said that you won't amount to a refuse collector. I joked about it at first. Oh, one day I'll write a book, one day I'll write a book. But then you put a, an ADHD person in front of a computer to try and write a book was going to be a, a very interesting exercise. And then obviously during COVID times where there was not much to do, I was seeing a business coach through the time with a couple of businesses I ran. And she just said, now is the time. Do it now. The world is shut down at the moment. Now is the time to knuckle down and, and do it. And I've always had the philosophy of, you know, when you in your old age, rather have the philosophy of thinking, well, if only I did it rather than I did it and I've managed it. Um, and I've just kept that philosophy up. And then through COVID and past that, through the uh, couple of businesses I ran, part-time wrote the book um, over weekends between appointments in my car, in the evenings, on weekends. And it was published and then printed earlier this year. It's a tell-all, no holds barred about everything that has happened in my life. It's not a please feel sorry for me, but your mind is a powerful tool and you put all of that up front and you can actually achieve anything in life. So it's more of a motivation, a real tell story. I think people during COVID and even past COVID are looking for real successes, real stories. And this is exactly what the target is. It's youth, it's younger people, it's people that have suffered through depression, suicide notes, all those sort of things. And it's just a motivation to give back to the community to think, you know, life is actually not that bad. We've all got our challenges, but we put it all together. We can succeed together. Brilliant stuff. 
I saw this book on the Amazon platform as well. So for our audience out there and uh, your family and your friends, uh, Ryan, this book is available on the Amazon platform, no doubt amongst others, some 322 pages. Now, when I think about people with diabetes, particularly people with type 1 diabetes, I think of organization, I think of structure, remembering, dosing, calculating numbers. Let's go back to the beginning because you said eventually you were diagnosed with ADHD, which I suppose for a young person with type 1 diabetes makes the management of the diabetes even worse, which may in turn make the ADD, uh, ADHD even worse with the fluctuations in blood glucose levels. How did you get to this ultimate diagnosis? You said you had been through difficult therapeutic relationships. I'm interested in that. So in the old-fashioned, what they call now grade three, which I, I'm still the old-fashioned, old-school standard one, I've never been an autistic person. We were asked to draw a bicycle, and I landed up drawing it backwards. And at parents' evening, my parents looked at this and said to the teacher, there's something wrong with my son. And then the teacher said, don't worry, he just sees things a little bit differently. So don't worry about it. Everything is fine. And then grade four is where they also noted that I was battling to hear things and identify words. So a lot of times I was asked to write words, but I couldn't identify them. So we had those old school dictionaries where you had the A to Z. And if you battle to write a word, you'll go to the teacher and say, please, can you write it under? And the word that I always remember was caravan. And so I used to go to sea and it was there, but I could never identify it. And the teacher said, but there it is. How many times must I tell you it is there? And from there, we went through to an occupational therapist and went there for a year. And her occupational therapist's words were, we can't help your son. Maybe this lady can. And then we went through severe testing. And that's when I was diagnosed with ADHD amongst audio processing. It turned out my reading and my writing was two years below standard, which obviously identified with identifying the words, uh, reading. I often used to supplicate words for different words or fill in the gaps and make my own words up. And then that's when they diagnosed the ADHD at about standard three, grade five, with all the other therapy that I had to go through as well. So early on, as it often is in young people, particularly boys and often underdiagnosed in girls because their behaviors often manifest very differently. And in fact, we know that that is no longer just a single gender component. Michael, you and I have often spoken about the impact of uh, behavior and behavioral disorders that can impact on young people as well as adults who are more and more frequently diagnosed with ADD. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because you've worked with the pediatric populations of diabetes for a number of years, particularly you know when you were in direct clinical practice, you've manned a hotline. How do you see ADD, ADHD impacting on the kinds of clients we've looked after over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think it can have some profound impacts. I have children who have the condition as well, so I have personal experience with it. It makes it difficult for people with the condition to focus on what needs to be done, when it needs to be done. And I think that's really where we need to be aware of these conditions, and we also need to provide the requisite support. I just can't help reflect on how far we've come in terms of teaching. Current teachers, I think, are far more able to spot these difficulties. Our children were spotted at school very quickly by their teachers. We were referred to occupational therapists and so on. And very quickly, we were able to remediate the situation. I think back in Ryan's school days and certainly in my school days, learning issues like this were not picked up at all. And it ended up in those terrible statements like there's nothing we can do for you or you will not ever amount to anything. That's tragic. We just must be aware of children, what is expected in terms of milestones per year. And if we are not achieving those, then we need to look for any way that we can to support these children. 
Michael, you as a parent and Ryan, you said it as well. One of the recurring themes in this book is what I would like to call the inner voice. There are two aspects here I want to highlight. One was your parents' recognition that something was afoot. And very often people with diabetes may kind of have their inner voice suppressed because perhaps their healthcare professional they're seeing kind of says, no, that's not really correct or that's not true. Mm. Fortitude to your parents for having bumped into or come across and you're going to tell us the story about how you landed up at a more nurturing kind of education environment. And the second inner voice you had was this phenomenal dream you had in later years that actually, and I'll keep our audience hanging here, landed you up in prison. And we want to hear about that dream in a minute. So Ryan, share with us inner voices, diabetes, intuition. I want to hear about how those two narratives kind of shaped your years ahead. The inner voice, I think is a, I wouldn't say it's a gift, but it's something that's, you know, I've even taken in today's business world is I am still fairly young, but I've always taken and I've learned from past experiences and I always go with what my gut tells me. And the inner voice definitely tells you, you can do it. You can't do it. And you just got to really back yourself in what you do. Even through all those years of battling through school, friends telling you that you're not going to amount to nothing, teachers doing the same thing. There was that inner voice that always used to keep saying, well, you know what, maybe that is true because this is what people are telling me and this is what they're speaking over my life. You're a person with diabetes as well, just to add to the learning curves, the difficulties, all of that. Maybe this is what is actually is a mount for my life. But then the other side of me was saying, well, you know, it's not that bad. Yes, you have your ups, your downs. It's manageable. I've always seen it as your mind is a powerful tool. I've always believed that 85 or 80% of everything in success is what your mind believes. And if your mind is positive and your mind can overcome it, anything is possible these days. So you shared in the story how you had come across a young fellow who's in fact thinking about diabetes was exactly the opposite. His voice said there was 80% of the stuff he couldn't do. Tell our audience about that a little bit because you served as a phenomenal mentor and coach. Those are my words. I don't think you stated that as such, but certainly you deserve that credit. You really provided a phenomenal mentorship to this chap and it seemed like a chance meeting. Personally, I've always wanted to give back to the community. The world is so difficult. The world is full of fighting and arguments. It's just a dark place to be in at times. And why keep everything to yourself when you can really be a blessing and serve other people? You know, thank my parents for the wonderful opportunity that they gave me where we had a great medical aid, where we could be introduced to the CDE from the age of six, had wonderful nurse educators, had wonderful doctors, and we still do. And there's always the less fortunate that always cry out for the help and the children with diabetes in those days, or even now, they didn't choose it, so why must they suffer? And I went on to a lot of diabetes camps as well, where we learned we weren't alone. Mm. It's okay to go to a party, because back in the school days when I was younger, there wasn't much free diabetes stuff as there is now. So, you know, we had to have a bottle of water because there was no sugar-free drinks, or there wasn't a candor of chocolate. So we had to have an apple versus someone having a bar one chocolate. And a lot of people then thought, well, you know what, it's not that bad because we're not alone. On one of the diabetes camps I went to, I met a doctor that was at a government hospital in Johannesburg. And we got talking and I just really felt I want to give back. Even at the age of 14, 15, I want to give back. I want to help people. And we actually went there amongst all the difficulties I had. I still managed to go there once a week, I think for about two or three years. Obviously, we did not give any medical advice. We never gave any insulin dosages, but we gave real life advice to children. And my mom was fortunate enough to come with me and she used to help the mothers as well. In terms of just real life, how do you cope with it? If someone says, oh, you've got to inject yourself again, how does that make you feel? Well, we've got the experience, we can help. And there was a boy, he must have been about 12 when I met him. 
And even now, Slokit Shivers down my spine about it. He just couldn't accept it. He just couldn't accept that he couldn't have a chocolate when he wanted to. He couldn't go to a party and have sweets and have a slice of cake. And as I say, the mind is your biggest thing. And he never got that. And by the age of 15, 16, his lungs went into failure. His kidneys went into failure. And sadly enough, he passed away about two or three years later. But it was Mm -hmm. just that road that I walked with him that really made you realize if you've got the benefit and you can help people, it's not going to harm you. Just to give that extra little bit of helping hand to someone else because they are crying out for the help as well. The other case is parents never had the supportive role where the parents couldn't adjust or they couldn't accept a child with this condition. And I met a child in hospital once and he actually said to me, his words were, I didn't give myself injections so I can come into hospital because that's where I feel loved. Because his parents just couldn't accept it and couldn't really do it where the nurses, they looked after him. And it's just those small little things that really want you just to give back to the community because you realize that we are in such a fortunate position. Why keep it and hold it to yourself when you can just give it out to people? Sure. And we have spoken before on this podcast on the personal health benefits of volunteering. And I think it also does empower our minds because it takes us into a space of helping other people, which immediately empowers us, takes us personally to another level and helps pay it forward. There's so much judgment around diabetes. You often hear people come in and say, oh, you know, doc, my poor nephew was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Poor fellow, you know, what a life lies ahead. Mm. Sure, we recognize that the management of type 1 diabetes is a lifelong commitment to optimizing health and well-being, mm. but beyond the glucose, and we have said this on almost every single podcast, is an entire human being that needs that nurtured environment to thrive. Mm. Ryan, a fascinating story in the book. You landed up in prison. You had this dream. You had, again, an inner voice, perhaps subconsciously at this time. How did you get to do work in prisons? So first of all, I'll just put a disclaimer out there. I have seen lots of prison walls, but I haven't ever been in a jumpsuit with the orange outfit. <laughs> yeah, you held us on tenterhooks there, Stan. <laughs> At the age of 24, I landed up in a maximum prison in Joburg for about seven years. But what it was, was reaching out and just helping people. And I've just always had a sense of, as I said many times in this podcast, is helping people. And everybody wants to help the children. Yes, there is people that love to help the children and the sick and the elderly and all those things. But I always thought, what about the people in prison? Yes, what they've done is wrong. Some of them have been misjudged and have been put there without reasons. Some of them are there because they've done a crime. And that's fair enough but they still need to be loved. They still need to be treated as people where a lot of people have got the mindset of let's just lock them up, throw the key away and forget about them. But at the end of the day, they're still people. So I had a dream one day of landing up in prison and with the Christian belief system in me, I really thought, well, what is this going about? Where is this going to? And at about, I think it was about 23, 24, I had a car accident where a motorbike came out of my blind spot and actually hit my vehicle and flung over the bonnet. And out of pure shock, I just drove away. So now we're in a hit and run type of thing. Eventually, I went back to the scene where the Metro police was there and he actually did the job because it's his passion. And he said to me, you do realize what you did was wrong, but because you've come back, it's fine. We won't look at anything else. Man, I thought, goodness, this is obviously how I'm going to land up in prison. I've just had a hit and run. I'm going to be locked up. But fast forward a couple of years later, I landed up in an international Christian organization that spends four days in a prison working through a program of building the people up again in terms of what choices you have made. It's okay. You need to first forgive yourself before you need to forgive others because forgiveness is all about forgiving yourself first. And the the success stories we've seen and I've seen in those seven years that I was in the prison were amazing. 
fast forward a couple of years later, I had the wonderful opportunity of actually leading a weekend. So at 30 years old, I led an international ministry weekend in one of the maximum prisons in Johannesburg. And it was definitely in the top three highlights of my life. Just having that wonderful opportunity, giving back to the community, but giving back in a sense where people just should forget about them. And people want to forget about the people where a group of individuals and myself went in there. It was a massive eye-opener through everything in life in general, how they live, their conditions that they live in. And we actually walked out there more blessed than they did because it just gives you a real eye-opener. And some of the things that there is, we've all done it. We've all deserved. They've just been caught, you know, even from small things. Like if you have three drinks, you take technically are doing something illegal, but yet we haven't been caught, they have. So it was just a massive eye-opener and a sure blessing. And then a couple of years later, people joked with me and said, you know, you've been in a couple of prisons when inmates recognize you in another prison. <laughs> and I went into another one also in Joburg where I landed up counseling juveniles that were awaiting trial one-on-one counseling. I did that for about two years, every Thursday for an hour and a half on a Thursday morning, where they came to me just looking for advice. No agenda, just opening up their hearts and what they wanted to talk about. And again, it was just a massive realization of Mm. their foundations, their family background, how they landed up in that situation. Some of them are very irresponsible. That's almost said in inverted commas, deserve to be there. But some of them did it because family choices have led them there. And that's just the way that they've been brought up. So it definitely was an eye-opener, part of my life and a life journey that I'll never forget. I'm not sure I've made up my mind where artificial intelligence and healthcare needs meet at this point. But in a sense, the low-tech approach, as the AI gurus tell us, the human touch is phenomenal here. And you know, it doesn't matter how good we get with AI and how we onboard that in healthcare. As a human and the humanity you describe here, Ryan, there's never going to be a time where there won't be the role for the human. Nothing here could be duplicated by any amount of tech. One of the highlights for me was life doesn't get real better than a person that's literally volunteering to go into maximum prison and sitting in the courtyard on the floor against the wall with three or four inmates and they're just telling you what they've done and just having a two-hour conversation, just letting them speak. And I think, yeah, life doesn't get more real than that. The aspect of faith, Ryan, runs very, very profoundly through the entire narrative, some 320-odd pages. Michael and I have spoken, perhaps without any real scientific evidence, and I want to get his opinion on this as well, that really faith plays a great role in health mm. and well-being, whether it be in the acute setting or perhaps we're more familiar with the chronic setting. Ryan, faith, how does that weave its way through your autobiography here? To say it up front, I respect all religions, all faith levels. I am a a Christian, and I think from my side, it's just been through my blood, through my family upbringing. And without God being the center of my life, I don't think I'll be able to get through all of this. And that's just a massive input on my life as to how I've managed to succeed everything in life. It seems that coming from you'll amount to nothing to running several companies is a major change in your life. Would your faith have been part of that genesis? Absolutely. I think if it wasn't for that, I don't think I'll be sitting here today having this wonderful podcast chat with you guys. It's just a massive tool in my life that's grown with me on a daily basis. And yes, you have had your ups and downs and wanting to throw in the towel and people say things behind your back. And it's just life in general, but it definitely without the faith levels that I've had and learned to have through all the negative It also came down to people talking down on me throughout my school career. And I thought, well, if this is what people are going to be doing to me, even in my school itself, or people that I think are inverted commas, my friends, have faith in God. And that's exactly where I think it started. And it just went from strength to strength from there. 
There's one person that makes an appearance in the book. Michael knows her very well. I want to hear both your thoughts on this. You have a letter. It's written in a letter form and it's included in the book by Corin Denton, oh, yes. who was with you from the journey all the way. Michael, just a quick introduction, your relationship with Corin, and then Ryan, you'll tell us how she came into the narrative as well. So Corin is a diabetes specialist nurse of many years experience. I've known her for well over 30 years, and she was really an inspiration to me before I actually came into diabetes. When I worked at a private clinic in Johannesburg, she came there to teach the staff about diabetes, and I was really amazed by her passion for diabetes and the easy way that she taught the complexity of diabetes very simply. And for you to have been guided by Karen at some stage in your life was probably an immense blessing for you. Karen, oh, she's like my second mother. Mm -hmm. She's really helped us in so many ways. We automatically clicked. And I think that's how we got into the diabetes camps that I used to go on with them. She was the one that started the counselors in training program where you had three or four groups of younger children or early teenagers looking after the other children, where they just realized that you're not the only person with diabetes out there. And it was just a, a massive inspiration of not only life itself, but life with diabetes and the education that she used to give, the information that she used to give, it was an astronomical blessing. And she's walked a massive road in my life. And yeah, she's definitely one of those ladies that really helped my diabetes journey in the early days, going through the adolescent stages, going through body changes, going through life changes as well, and then people with diabetes as well, and then still managing to get through all of that. So yeah, as I say, she's she's almost been a second mother to me. And we had the wonderful opportunity of actually going with her to the States in the early 2000s. So she's been an inspiration to me. I wonder if any of the listeners out there want to share your experiences with a person, whether it's in the healthcare professions or not, who's really had an inspirational and fundamental component. We'd love to hear from you on our email address. Now, for both of you, it's been decades since I was last asked to write a book review, probably in my matric year. I haven't been asked to write a book review as such. I just want to share with you some of my take-homes from this book, because if you read through it, you get the sense that the story told here is one of shock when it comes to the diabetes, the ADD, the need to change schools, the really nasty words and the language that was used to describe Ryan at that point in time in his future. You have this period of shock, you have this period of consolidation or recovery, and then you get these wonderful stories of development development and growth as a young person, head boy of the school, first team cricket. And then within all of this, within the journey are these challenges, these wobbles that I like to call them. And whilst I don't want to over-identify with Ryan's personal story, this really sounds like the journey of most people with type 1 diabetes, you know, shock and awe at diagnosis, eventual coming around in that sense. And it's completely dependent in his case upon the following. And these are the themes that I've drawn out unwavering support, fantastic family that he has surrounded himself with, and he's a parent himself now, deep faith, immense relationships and the consolidation of relationships he's had over time, self-taught problem-solving skills, whether it be in his diabetes, whether it be in his sporting prowess, possibly even in his business components, and then the solid grounding in terms of parenting and the natural attributions that follow from that from an advocacy point of view. Ryan, your story, if you closed your eyes and didn't know, really mirrors a lot of diabetes. And I think that you have this rich tapestry that you've woven in. I think it's a fantastic book. It really gets to the sense that we know you so much better as a person. And uh, I'm glad you told me, and I'm glad I've taken time to go through it because it's been a blessing to have been a reader. Thank you. Thank you so much for those kind words and words of a review as well. 
I wouldn't say it was a challenge. Some of the reality of it was some of the stuff that happened, I had no idea about. I didn't realize how bad it was, particularly in the early days, looking back at reports and seeing and identifying with different problems and that, that my parents told me about when writing the book. So you know, thinking back on it, it does seem almost like a sci-fi fiction type of movie. But yeah, in the end of the day, it was reality. And as I said before, you put your mind to it, anything is possible. I think if you're involved in healthcare in the chronic setting and you have long-standing relationships with patients, I could almost close my eyes and think there are so many rich stories that people with diabetes have been kind enough to share with me over their lives, some for the better and some for the worse, their challenges. And if you step back, there's a wonderful story in everybody. And I believe really in the richness of storytelling as a therapeutic art. And it's something I'm certainly exploring at the moment with my own postgraduate learning is this art of storytelling. I think our African cultures are rich within that, and I don't think we spend enough time listening and telling stories. We're quick to write a prescription, but I actually think a story is medicine in its own right. Absolutely, Stan, I agree. Storytelling has long been part of my approach to teaching diabetes, both to health professionals and to people with diabetes. Very much inspired by Corin, by the way. A lot of techniques taken from her many years ago. Also from greats like Prof. Harry Seftel, great storyteller in his day and our founder, Larry Distiller. So I think storytelling has a great place in science. Time to take a short break. We're going to hear from our friends at SA Diabetes Advocacy, and they're going to chat about the upcoming Diabetes Summit for 2023. SA Diabetes Advocacy works on several advocacy projects that are spread across the different types of diabetes, as well as across private and public healthcare. We work with diabetes advocates on these projects to ensure that we are tackling some of the biggest issues that people living with diabetes are facing in South Africa. There is a global movement towards inclusion of the lived experiences at conferences where diabetes is being discussed. Hashtag nothing about us without us. The University of Pretoria Diabetes Research Center, in collaboration with the Diabetes Alliance in South Africa, cordially invites you to attend the 2023 Diabetes Summit. The summit will be proudly hosted by the University of Pretoria under the theme Diabetes Targets, Translating Policy into Reality. The summit will be taking place on the 15th of November, 2023. You can either attend in person at the Future Africa campus at the University of Pretoria or attend online. For more information and to register for the summit, please visit diabetesadvocacy.org.za and click on Diabetes Conferences. Thanks very much for that message, Kirsten. We hope that as many people with diabetes and healthcare professionals working in the field will support this very important summit in November. What we also teach very much in our courses on diabetes is that human beings are not only physical, they're also relational beings, they relate to each other socially, they have emotions, they have a community in which they reside, and they also have a spiritual side. And I think that's one of the very difficult questions for especially parents and children with a new diagnosis of especially type 1 diabetes why me, God? Uh, Ryan, maybe can you just give your perspective on what the diagnosis and experience of diabetes in your life to date has taught you? And why do you think you've been offered this challenge in life? It's a question that I, in my early, or say early teenage years, often asked, why me? You know, you had so much other challenges and now you've got, when I say it in inverted commas, because it's not a challenge, but in the moment, it feels like a challenge. Why me? Sure. But at the end of the day, I still remember what Karen said to me. She asked us the question the one day, if you had to live your life again and you would choose to have diabetes, would you or would you not? And without hesitation, I said I would choose. 
It's a lifestyle. It's definitely a healthier lifestyle. And I think why me, it's I've been able to give back to communities, to give back to the less fortunate, to walk a story, to even go as far as being on this podcast here where it could touch somebody else's life that could be battling and has not quite accepted being a person with diabetes yet. Yes, we all go through the stages of why me, why must I have this or why do I have to live with diabetes where once you've accepted it, I still think it is a blessing because I've managed to walk a road. I've managed to talk to so many people, assist so many people, and hopefully one day leave a legacy. It is a condition that you can live with. It's manageable and you can live a normal life with it. And obviously with technology these days and things like the pump and the CDE and so much free advice and so much medical practitioners out there to assist you, it definitely has got better with the years and it has made managing a lot easier. So what you're talking about is a real faith here. We're not talking about a faith that is grounded in fluffy clouds and singing angels, but a real faith where you accept the burdens that have been put on you and you realize that they have propelled you into maybe an excellence that you may not have achieved without that burden. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Once I accepted it, you go through the early teenage years and you think, again, why me? But I think the moment you accept it, I think it's 90% of the battle is done. And I always use analogy, it's like getting up and brushing your teeth in the morning. Is Once you've accepted it, it's getting up, brushing your teeth and just carrying on with life. And once you've got that mindset that it's okay, you can manage it, you can live with it. It's not a death sentence. Some people have labeled it, and I say it in inverted commas, the silent killer. It's not. It's just a, it's a lifestyle. It's all it is. It's a lifestyle to live with. So, you know, often why me is I change it to why me? Yes, why me? Because I can change other people. I think the back cover of the book says it very carefully here. It says, this book aims to touch lives by giving a face and identity to people who have to face challenges in life, but are determined to never give up. I think that really sums up this phenomenal session we've had here. Ryan, the book is published by Reach Publishers, but where can our audience and their family and their friends get hold of this compelling read? It is on Amazon, but obviously with delays in that, you can contact me directly. Email me on ryannevergivesup at gmail.com. I am on social media on Instagram at the handle Ryan Never Gives Up and then also official Facebook page Ryan Never Gives Up. So on all the social media platforms and email will be the best way to contact me and we can meet, have a discussion and purchase the book from there and gladly sign the copy for you as well. And hopefully as the blessing it was to write it, hopefully it's a blessing that can either touch you or know somebody that can be touched by the story of life that we walk such a beautiful journey. Wonderful. I think that's great. It fits perfectly into the narrative that we as educators seek to advance for people with diabetes, their families, their carers, and equally importantly, the healthcare professional. Pity we've come to the end of time here. I hope, Ryan, you have a blessed weekend ahead and a wonderful start to the spring season. For listeners out there, don't forget to give us a like and share widely on your favorite social media platform. From me, Dr. Stan Landau, signing out. A blessed spring ahead for all. Speak to you next time. And for me, Michael Brown, thank you so much to our studio guest, Ryan Brewer. It's been an absolute blessing for you to be here with us. For any health practitioner working out there, if you are still approaching diabetes with a view of simply managing blood glucose, I think that this podcast has been a powerful reminder that managing diabetes is more about walking a journey with a person with diabetes rather than trying to balance blood glucose and insulin or various pharmacological therapies great episode thank you so much ryan thanks a lot bye and we look forward to being with you again next week so over and out from us have a wonderful week
Thank you for joining us on Not Artificially Sweetened, where we aim to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Anything we discuss is for your reflection, education, personal growth, and entertainment only. You join this podcast at your own risk, and we are not responsible for any omissions, errors, or unwanted medical outcomes. Please note the following important, specific disclaimers. For people with diabetes, the health professionals on this podcast are not your personal caregivers. Always discuss any new information with your diabetes team before acting on any aspect of it. The views and opinions discussed are those of the hosts only and do not represent those of any other entity. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you encounter in this session. Anything you learn or experience here cannot substitute for personalized, professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. For health professionals working in diabetes, always discuss any new information with your clinical team before acting on any aspect of it. You are personally accountable and liable for any choices made in a clinical setting according to your level of training and legal scope of practice. Any information or insights gained here must be used with your professional discretion and with the developing base of clinical evidence, local and organizational laws, regulations, guidelines and protocols. Good luck with your diabetes care missions. Till next time. And it's a wrap.